The first reading that we just heard, which I hope you will reopen and reread this week and reflect on it, is from the second chapter of the book of Genesis, the first book of the Old Testament. It's the second creation story in that book. If you were assigned just in an English class, a high school English class, a college class, with no faith whatsoever, if you were told that Jewish people and Christians believe that this is God's inspired word, this section about marriage and family, and you were asked, what do you think people who believe this is God's inspired word, what are some of the truths that they take from that passage? You would easily, just with logic, not with any faith, be able to come up with a whole bunch of revelations. In that passage, it's clear that everything is created by God. Everything is therefore good because it comes from God. At the center of all of God's good creation with all the animals are human beings. You would be able to say in that passage clearly, if you believe this is God's word, it's revealed that man and woman are equal. They're equally created by God out of the very same stuff. You would also just with simple logic be able to get, unless you were incredibly stupid and no one here is anything but fantastically intelligent, you would be able to say God enters into the lives of one man and one woman and God somehow supernaturally makes them one. And there's an implication there clearly about children. They become one flesh, the one man and the one woman. It's pretty logically clear. So. If our Jewish ancestors, God's chosen people, received this revelation, if they were clearly really guided by God's Spirit in a way that no other people on the planet had, to, had been to that point, if they were intelligent people, you would probably say from 50,000 feet, well, they must have embraced those truths and lived those truths. 50,000 feet is a great place to exist. On the earth, things are much more complicated. So in the Old Testament, we read that very clear revelation. We also read honestly how our spiritual ancestors chose to live. Just because God reveals the truth doesn't mean I take the time to understand it or to accept it or to put it into practice. So in the Old Testament, we read in the book of Deuteronomy, it's the only one in the Torah, but there's a regulation for divorce, just to be sure we're clear in this, we, in, modern, in the modern world, we have civil marriage in any country. The government defines at any given time what marriage is. That may or may not connect with God's truth about marriage. And for our Jewish ancestors, there's no such difference. It's all one. So the idea of divorce would be God brings together one man and one woman. The two become one flesh. But then the man, of course the man, not the woman, the man is able to say, no, that's not true anymore. What God has joined, God has not joined. So there's a bizarre, regular, bizarre from 50,000 feet, regulation in Deuteronomy 24 about the behavior of men who divorce women. In the Old Testament, women and men are not at all in practice considered equal. One man, one woman, creation, clearly they're equal, but in practice, no, they're not. Man is the master of woman in the Old Testament. A woman in the Old Testament doesn't have any autonomy ever in her life, any true autonomy. She doesn't have it before she's married or if she's not married. She doesn't have it when she's married. 
And if she's widowed or if she's written off in a divorce, she has no autonomy. She is always subjected to a man as her master and her protector. In the Old Testament, men can have multiple wives. Well, that's interesting. The two become one, but then like, then you add another, and then you add another, and you get a bunch of different children. Of course, the woman can't have multiple husbands, but he can have multiple wives. So what is this? This is reality. We, as a human race, fell far away from God, original sin. We, human beings, are always unfortunately sinful. This is reality. The Old Testament tells us both God's revelation of absolute truth, and it shows us how our ancestors, like us, have fallen away from God and choose not to accept God's truth. We sin. Humanity is a mess, and humanity is a mix. In that mix and in the mess of this human race, about 2,000 years ago, God definitively entered all of this mix and all of this mess to save us. Jesus Christ is the one and only eternal Son of God who about 2,000 years ago entered into this human race in order to save us, in order to make it possible for us to get back to God and God's truth, in order for us to live love and live the truth in order for us to have integrity of self. Jesus offers the way of salvation. He does not force salvation onto anyone. He does not make anybody turn into a holiness machine. He comes and he's God's full and final offer of all truth, of salvation, the way to find God now and to find eternal life. So if you apply that to this very specific issue of marriage, the truth of marriage, we have a really powerful and encouraging gospel passage we just heard from Mark 10. So remember, this is a part of the gospel of Mark where Jesus is laying out much more clearly fundamental truths, and he's offering his disciples clear choices that they have to make. They don't have to do anything but if they're going to be his authentic disciples, they have to accept these truths. By Jesus' time in Judaism, divorce is considered not commonplace, but it is widely accepted. So to repeat on purpose, the idea that God would bring together a man and a woman in a real marriage, become one flesh, but then the man can say, no, that's not true anymore, I write you off. So, as best we understand it, at Jesus' time, the debate among many Jewish scholars is, is divorce allowed under narrow circumstances, or is divorce allowed in wider circumstances? Some people who oppose Jesus in that passage want to test him, and they use this question about divorce. They presumably, they say to Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Is it God's truth, God's law, that a man divorces his wife? Presumably, they figure Jesus is going to pick one side or the other side, and the other side, whichever he doesn't pick, is going to oppose Jesus. Jesus must surprise everybody because he says in response to the question, what did Moses command you? personal opinion, but you think about this this week. I think he's playing with them because Moses doesn't command anyone anything. God commands. I think Jesus is trying to open up their minds about their 
arrogant assurance about God's truth. So what does Moses, what did Moses command you? They respond, Moses permitted. So they've shifted this a little. Moses permitted a man to write a bill of divorce. Jesus says, Moses commanded this, again, I think he's playing with them, because of the hardness of your heart. In our Jewish heritage, the heart is the core of who we are. The heart is the center of our reason, of our emotion. It's the place where we make judgments. When you're a person of hard heart in the Jewish tradition, you're someone who makes the choice to turn away from the truth. You're someone who says, I will not, in the core of who I am, accept the truth that God is revealing to you. Moses gave you that. He permitted that because of the hardness of your hearts. And actually, if these Jewish scholars take it seriously, and go home and please do this, when you read Deuteronomy 24, Moses never says anything approving of divorce. Moses writes a regulation for people who have committed the sin of divorce in order to try to regulate their behavior so they don't do more bad things. Malachi 2.16, I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. There is nothing in the Old Testament that in any way, shape, or form suggests that it would be good for God to bring together a man and a woman and for the man or the woman to write this off. So then Jesus says, in the beginning, and he quotes Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man leaves his mother and father, and the two become one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined, no human being must divide. Very straight out. The disciples hear this, they go back, and to Jesus, clearly it's very difficult for them to accept. And Jesus insists in the most clear terms, this is God's truth. You with me here? So everybody says, hey, that's the truth, Jesus. We'll live it, we get it, we'll everything is okay. There's no evidence of that. Only over time do some people come to believe that very clear truth Jesus teaches. After Jesus dies and rises from the dead, when those people come to understand who he really is, that everything he teaches is the absolute truth. Over time, as those people receive the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit in their souls to guide them, do people come to understand the fullness of this truth? Jesus is ultimately talking about marriage, and he's ultimately giving the gift. The full gift is the sacrament of marriage. Jesus doesn't just tell us the truth for us to think about it. He gives us the grace to live the truth. It turns out that the fullness of God's truth, which was revealed centuries before in that Genesis passage, is that God offers the gift to one man and one woman to be joined by God, to become one new reality by God, and God gives the fullness of that gift in the sacrament of marriage. Offers the fullness of that gift never forces anything on anyone. In every generation, from thousands of years ago until the end of time, and today, for any Christian, we have to come to terms with what we believe here. We're all free to do what we want to do, and we're all affected by the reality in which we grow up. 
Unfortunately, some of us have experienced the pain of separation, of civil divorce, of marriages, sacramental marriages into which we've entered that have not at all turned out well. This very much affects us. Most of us in this community of Lawrence have never experienced even civil marriage. Only one in three women who has a child in this community is ever married in any way, shape, or form. For many of us, for generations, there has been no marriage whatsoever. This very much affects us. You and I live in a society in which some people believe, and many of these people run popular culture and are big leaders in academia, believe that marriage is a construct. Everything is a construct. We decide at any time or place what marriage is, what sexuality is, what race is, what gender is, and so we can deconstruct it and reinvent it whenever we like. So marriage is whatever we decide at a given time and place, and if 30 years from now we decide it's something different, well, we can do that. Because by the way, there is no God. There is no truth. I just saw this uh, last month, a new proposed sex ed curriculum, not for Lawrence, for a different city in Massachusetts, in which in first grade, there is no more teaching, there is no more male or female. Children are to be taught that there are people who were born with one sex organ, and there are other people who were born with the other sex organ. There is no male or female. Male and female, he created them. We need to be very careful where our children go to school. So with all of that upside down, it very much affects us. You hopefully get by now, if Jesus Christ came back to this planet today and said just what he says in that passage, he would be declared a hater. Crucify him, or at least cancel him. And that very much affects any of us who is afraid of people's reactions in our families, in society. And finally, at least for my list of woes this morning, we have leaders in our church who, because of their sinfulness and their incompetence, have sort of dropped out the moral authority that we should have as disciples of Jesus. This very much affects us. If those priests and bishops won't live what they say is the truth, why would I care about what's supposedly the truth about marriage? So I just think this is the reality in which we live, and I think it's therefore an opportunity. It is an opportunity for all of us to get focused on the truth and to really witness to it. If you're sitting here, I hope you're not, and you're saying, I don't really care about this, this is not my issue, that would be an indication of how little you love our children. If we are going to be the instruments of the truth, this is one of the critically important dimensions of the truth that we have to live out for our children. So I encourage you this week, just open up that Mark 10 passage. It's so straightforward. Let me give my editorial. I think Jesus is so uniquely straightforward about this because sacramental marriage is what he offers as the fundamental vocation of most people. It's not my fundamental vocation, but it is for most people. Of course, he's maximally clear about the truth of marriage because it's the central gift he offers most human beings, most of his children. 
So just take that passage. Anyone can understand it. Do you believe it? Yes or no? It really is a yes or no question. Do you believe that what marriage is, is the union created by God of one man and one woman? Consider this week, it is not at all difficult to say this to the world. It is not at all difficult to tell people, you may think I am crazy, you may think I'm a hater, you may think I'm from Planet Claire, this is what I actually believe true marriage is. It's not that difficult. It is absolute, it's a strength of our community, please reflect on this this week, that we routinely tell our children, I may have not lived this truth, I may have failed at this truth, we have clearly messed up this truth in this city, but it's the truth. This is really probably what God has in store for you. And so we're gonna live our lives in God, preparing for probably this reality to be God's gift in your life, even if I haven't experienced it in mine. If you are married, I encourage you this week to just give a little extra focus to thanking one another for whatever is good in your marriage, the mercy, the forgiveness, the tenderness, the strength, the support, the new life, whatever the good is that you experience in your marriage. We live in a culture that really does consistently tear down the marriage of a man and a woman. It's so important for those of you who are living this sacrament to celebrate your strengths and to do whatever you need to do to get at your weaknesses and your sinfulness. That's what marriage is all about. And I encourage all of us to, this week, even just one thing, tell someone you know who is married, who is trying to live this sacrament, something you recognize that's beautiful and inspirational in this relationship. Susan, I cannot believe that you put up with Mark the way you do. It could only be God's grace that makes this possible. It's as simple as that, yes? Mark, I so admire how you share the truth with Susan, with your children, no matter what this culture says. You are really strong as a husband and as a father in my experience. Finally, I invite you all to pray for this. We are saved through God's grace. We experience salvation when we accept and live that grace. Let's pray that the reason we're here today and what we receive through this Eucharist, the grace of salvation grows in our words and in our actions. Thank you for listening. To learn more and to get involved, go to stpatrickparish.com.